It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I am one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. My name is Peter V.S. Bond. I'm also the Vice President of Retail Strategy at Power Reviews, a ratings and reviews software company. And as always, I am joined by my co-host. He is an e-commerce luminary. He is an entrepreneur. He's in the midst of launching his brand new natural supplement brand, Zenfuel. We'll hear more about that, I'm sure. Please join me in welcoming Shree. Shree, how are you doing today? Awesome. Thank you, Peter. He was on a quest to totally humble me. But it's been a pleasure doing this show with you, and I can't believe you've crossed 30 episodes, and we're doing something called the Profit Series. Yeah, I want to remind all of our guests, a couple things are going on. One, we're in the middle of 
two activities. One is our Breast Cancer Awareness Month support. We have eight women leaders. One of them we're talking to today. And for each of the first 250 downloads of their episodes, Sri and I are going to donate a buck each to the Susan G. Komen Foundation. So please tell your friends to download these episodes. We want to empty our pockets and max out our donations. Uh, additionally, we've, we are releasing this week another episode of our profit series. It's a five-part series about e-commerce profitability. We've done a PL pro forma. We're looking at supply chain. We're looking at a whole bunch of things. Please make sure you download those. They arrive on a Friday. But and all of our content, you can certainly reach at any time by simply visiting cpgguys.com. If you like what you hear, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating, write a review. We can be found at tinyurl.com slash applecpgpodcast. So enough of our shameless promotion, Shri. Let's get to the meat of why we're here today. We have a terrific guest, someone that you and I both know very well. I met her, oh, about 15 years ago. She was, I think, six years old at the time, <laughs> both working at IRI on site at PepsiCo headquarters in Purchase, New York. She sat uh, just on the other side of the partition from me, and we became good friends and have been ever since. She came to my wedding, uh, and I went to her wedding as well. So all sorts of crossovers. She and my wife are good friends. I love her husband, Ted, and can't wait to meet so many more of her kids as soon as this silly pandemic thing gets over. In any event, please join me in welcoming the head of e-commerce analytics for J&J North America, Christina Marinucci. Christina, how are you today? Hold on, Peter. I just realized that makes her 21, which means she can finally talk to us about her favorite wine. Yes, um, I'm so I'm so early in my career and young. <laughs> I wish. Um, well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you both. So happy to be part of this experience, and and thank you both for bringing CPG to the forefront. I'm a CPG veteran, like you guys. Um, as Peter mentioned, I've worked with both Peter and Shri. You you have actually bookended my career thus far. So I started at PepsiCo at IRI with Peter, and then at J and J more recently with Shri. As Peter mentioned, I do currently lead e-commerce insights and analytics for J and J, responsible for all channels of that. So DTC, Omni, and PurePlay across all of our consumer businesses. So beauty, personal care, and DTC. That is terrific, Christina. Thank you for that description. I know Shri and I have got a whole bunch of questions to ask you today. So I'm going to kick it off by asking the very first question, which is, as you mentioned, your career has intersected many different brands. You've been on the analytic company side. You've been on the brand side. How would you say each progression in your career has really built upon your expertise and what are kind of the learnings you get when you join a new brand and you're trying to contribute to the performance of it? I'd so while I currently work in data analytics, I didn't really take a linear path to becoming that specialist, but more of a, I would say, a curved generalist path that was always rooted in data and insights across multiple categories, all really within FMCG. I do believe this this kind of varied experience is, is helpful in many ways. You know, first, it allows you to build a strong foundation. Often one path can be a building block for something else, and it will help you gain some critical experience that someday may propel you toward another career goal. So 
for instance, like when I worked on the supplier side early in my career with Peter at IRI, it did provide that critical foundation in the data. And that skill set has served me in every every position since, honestly. Working on a regulated, regulated brand such as wine and spirits from Pernod Ricard really provided me with that understanding of a heavily regulated environment which allowed me to eventually move more easily into the healthcare space, another regulated environment. So, you know, also depending on the brand, it offers different exposure to various channels. So we know that while a significant portion of CPG volume moves through the more traditional channels, I was able to get a broader experience like the on-premise establishments from Panora Card, bars, restaurants, events. Uh, working at Rekha Ben Kieser on their decon brand provided me with exposure to home improvement retailers. And recently at J&J, the beauty brands there provide me experience with specialty beauty stores. I think another thing is that you'll open more doors with having that broader experience. And that's always how I looked at, at my career path. So the world today is definitely different than when our parents grew up, right? It's it's not the norm or even the expectation to stick with one career path and commit to a lifetime at that job, especially in the economy that we currently face. Like having a range of experiences and careers is, is seen as an advantage. It shows that you can be versatile. You can quickly learn new data sets, successfully navigate different organizational structures and really pull from those experience to think outside of the box and, and challenge the status quo. Christina, very well said. So she went from meeting Peter 15 odd years ago, you know, discussed a little bit, Christina, about how you've reshaped your career multiple times, multiple functions, multiple experiences, brands. And then you met this crazy guy called Sri, who was on a quest and mission to make e-commerce like a norm at large CPG brands. And uh, I was lucky that I ran into you in the process at Johnson & Johnson. And together we decided, hey, insights and analytics is the way. And if I think back fondly to those opportunities back in 2017, I can remember us you know, geeking out about wanting to go meet with the L2s of the world. And we, for the first time in the CPG industry, we press someone perhaps said as a partnership, let's go develop consumer personas and cohorts. And let's take a deep dive on a, not one brand, but on a segment level basis, acne, skincare, baby, OTC, you name it. So if I wrap all this stuff up, Christina, your current role as e-commerce analytics captain for Johnson & Johnson Consumer in North America, what is what is your day-to-day job? Like what are those what what is it that you actually do? Is it consumer cohorts? Are you working with retail? Is it Amazon? Is it D2C? Is it a bit of everything? Or are you measuring every every day is really a different day at J and J and especially in digital? You know, digital is moving so quickly. And as I mentioned, I, I do work across PeerPlay DTC and Omni. So it, it's a broad range of different customers, and also across all the categories and brands within J&J. So they all have their own unique set of needs and business objectives. But if I could summarize my role, it would be, really be based on maybe four foundational pillars. So one, you, you mentioned it, Trey, it's the data and what the metrics that matter are. So what are those sources of truth that will help us measure our digital performance and our total performance across all channels? 
part of that is helping the organization along that journey to make sense of all this data. Digital data is very messy. You know, there it's it's not very black and white. It's it's strongly in the gray. So helping them something navigate- Peter and I know nothing about data. Sorry, all you, you, about you lost us there. <laughs> it is ugly. It's very ugly. So, you know, trying to help them navigate through those various resources available, training them on what the right metrics are to use, how to use those metrics, including like the many caveats that exist and what the those best use cases are. The second area for, for my role is really leveraging that data to pull out and synthesize the insights and analytics. So this is an evolving space and, and we don't have all the answers and not all the tools exist yet for digital. You know, as such, we, we really focus on pioneering new scalable methodologies like in digital e-commerce, like the our diagnostic tools to optimize our search investments, really leveraging new sources of data like clickstream data and Google Analytics. We also partner with suppliers on building out new connected commerce methodologies like e-category decision trees. So we have decision trees, purchase decision trees on the brick and mortar side, but how does that translate into the online world? And then we want to work with our customer teams and brands to ultimately drive to activation, right? We don't want to just bring new data sets and build these shiny new tools and methodologies for nothing. Uh, We want to leverage them to drive business results. So, you know, that involves um, working with the individual brands and customer teams to to activate category leadership at their customers. You know, for example, we partner with our agencies to build integrated approach to managing search spend holistically across both on-site search and external search and working with our advanced analytics team to improve our digital investments, not just within search, but across the board. Also partnering with our customer teams to drive that e-category leadership framework to help their buyers manage the business in totality, really between in-store and online, as that's a recent change we've seen where the buyers now are not only responsible for that one portion of the world in-store, but now it's really more of a holistic business management strategy. So how do we help them become category experts and leaders, not just in brick and mortar, but online? And then the last part is just keeping a pulse on um, trends. You know, things are changing so quickly. So I really try to tap into my network and stay as connected as possible, you know, watching your podcast, for example. Thanks, Christina. That's that's very helpful. From the standpoint of Shri's favorite topic, which is media, let's dig a little deeper because you mentioned about supporting some of the customer teams. And retail media certainly falls into that space. We have had a conversation on this podcast with industry leaders from Instacart, from Drizzly, talking about their platforms. We've got some episodes coming up with Walmart and Sam's Club. And so this is a very interesting new space that seems to be exploding. So from that standpoint, are you working on measuring the results coming out of retail media? And what role does this play in the overall success for a brand in their e-commerce journey? Are the brand managers really paying attention to what's going on 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 retail media? And how do you go about evaluating ROI? And are you finding, I don't want you to name names, but are you finding that some are doing a really good job and some could probably use a little bit of 
improvement in what they're delivering from a measurement standpoint. This is an area of the business that we've definitely doubled down on. And, you know, kudos to my advanced analytics team. We work really closely in parallel with them, and they're really doing a great job to to be leaders in the space. So yes, we do evaluate retail media results. We evaluate ROI in a few ways through, through our mixed model. So you have your traditional sales model, which measure performance in brick and mortar, as well as online sales for our retail, our retailers and retailer platforms. So think like Amazon, Walmart, Targets of the World, Rondell and Velasquez, et cetera. So specifically, we're measuring that impact of shopper media and Amazon media on traditional measure channels like XAOC. And then we also have an, a more recent development is to look at Amazon sales models, to look at the what drives Amazon.com sales, as well as the halo that we see onto brick and mortar sales. So really decomposing those different aspects of Amazon sales. E-retail obviously plays a huge role in our brand's e-commerce journey. So if you think about that holistic journey, it often has many touch points before an actual purchase is, is made. Digital shopper marketing isn't some separate thing that exists on its own. You know, it, it can and it should be woven into like the total marketing plan. So therefore, we really need to understand its performance, not just on our online sales, but on our offline sales too. And some of our models like multi-touch attribution modeling looks at just that. You know, shopper marketing. attribution modeling. I, I remember the days when Christina and I were sitting with our friend Sharad Doshi and we were defining how do we explain this to the company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's the hard part. I think we, we've really gotten to a place where the company now is hungry for those types of insights and it's embedded in terms of our measurement tools. When we put test and learns and optimizations in place, we always, you know, close the loop and tie back to those specific models and and ways that we're going to measure the success of of that. But, you know, shopper marketing is all about that connection with shoppers and influencing on the path to purchase. And and obviously, I don't need to tell you guys, traditional frameworks of that path to purchase model are, are, are obsolete, right? There's no more linear purchase funnels where shoppers go from awareness to consideration to purchase, you know? That, that reality is the shopper is on multiple points on the path to purchase simultaneously. So due to that, we really need to understand the influence of these multiple touch points on the ultimate purchase. Yeah. Hey, Christina, before I hand it to Shree for the next question, I just want to double click down on something. I know that J&J engages, you mentioned Amazon engages Amazon, both from a 1P and a 3P perspective. Can you give us a little bit of a understanding of how you look at that either holistically or individually and judge them differently? We, we measure our total sales within Amazon. So 1P plus 3P, right? Because okay. to the consumer, it, it doesn't matter. That said, you know, we, we want to ensure that our brand image is consistent. So we have authorized third-party partnerships that uh, we focus on for our third-party business. And we also don't want first party and third party to be competing against ourselves, really. Um, So it's important to have a 1P versus 3P strategy where uh, we look at the total assortment and which would be better served within 1P versus 3P. So so that's one way to kind of split it up. You know, the, the, the pricing strategies are different, et cetera. So for us, 
we we do look at the totality of the business. And I remember, Sri, when we were working on like scorecarding this, you know, there is often a, a tendency to lean towards just looking at one P, right? Because that's where we're controlling our, our shipments to. But ultimately, it, it, at the end consumer, they're buying our products somewhere. That's that's revenue coming into the company. And we have to capture the whole picture. So, Christina, if I um, think back to the time again, when we were discussing, should we count 3P sales or not? What comes back to mind is who's going to get credit and we'll double count it. It's good to hear that a lot of these things have become part of the DNA at this moment in time, which, which is awesome. You know, obviously, e-commerce is very important. It's good to see large brands getting into that ecosphere of, you know, getting into the weeds of solving what I would call our uh, third level problems in e-commerce when most of the industry is still dealing with the first level which prompts me to ask the next question. You know, when someone gets into the e-commerce world from a branding perspective, the first question they look at is profitability and then they jump into, what what am I gonna do a year from now? Is this worth it in the long run? What's it gonna do to my customer PNL, my brand PNL? And the focus tends to be much more long-term in nature. But if I think back to what we did at JNJ, we were very short-term focused as well. We had the good balance as in, Every Monday, we were part of the sales calls on how we'd call the month, et cetera, which built the discipline of not forgetting the short term while focusing on the long term and vice versa. You know, I'd love to know, Christina, what's going on these days? Like, how do you switch between short term and long term? What are you focused on long term versus short term? And how does a consumer fit front, right, square and center of this at the end of the day? Because the consumer is what matters between short term and long term. And how are you personally balancing those priorities for the brands? While most models focus on short-term ROI, it's important to also measure the impact on long-term. You know, when you're only measuring the results from specific marketing campaigns, you're only looking at performance for that duration of time, that duration that the campaign might be running. But even when a campaign ends, you still should be attracting and converting consumers. So failing to look at that long-term ROI means you could be ignoring or forgetting about customers who could potentially turn into repeat buyers and, and consequently have a significant lifetime value, right? So, so you need to think about that lifetime value. Lifetime value, Peter. <laughs> a person from a brand has put it on the table for us, and it's a first. <laughs> Never heard of this before, Shri. This is an alien concept. Well, you know, short-term ROI models are definitely more straightforward in analyzing those near-term results, but long-term ROI can definitely get more messy and focuses, I believe, in measuring more outcomes of those investments. So you need to understand not just the single purchase outcome, but how long a customer is sticking around, you know, what their total purchase behavior is. And as such, you want to invest in both short-term and long-term outcomes, like the relationships you're building with your, your consumers. So long-term ROI, the way we look at it is a couple of ways. One, it could be just the overall health and equity of the brand. That's typically how a brand would measure part of that. But it also can be measured through our models by estimating the short-term impact by using multipliers over a multiple-year horizon. This is generally measured more at the media vehicle level rather than like down to the campaign level. I'm sure that as you do your analytics, you're probably doing something a lot more sophisticated than using Google Sheets or Microsoft Excel. How do you go about selecting the analytic tools to get you the answers you're looking for? And I'd really love to know, 
how you partner with commercial organizations as well in terms of delivering that analysis. Yeah, that partnership is critical to to our success, right? It, it, it kind of goes back to that saying, if you build it, they will come. But actually, with analytic tools, that's, that's not always the case. Um, you really need to build it together with the commercial organization and, and bring them along that journey. So first, we need to understand what those business needs are and evaluate the tools we currently have to, to identify if any gaps exist. So I'll give you I'll give you an example. A few years back, as as digital was really starting to accelerate for our businesses, we were operating on a lot of assumptions as far as our business results and, and more importantly, what the drivers of those results were. We knew, similar to brick and mortar, that we needed to understand the basics, right? Overall sales and share versus the category and splits by channel and retailer, as well as the buyer behaviors, like we have those panel metrics for, for brick and mortar. We also needed to win with content and search, hands down. So a data source that was that was rising in popularity was Clickstream data. Um, I evaluated it and saw the many benefits it could bring to the organization. You know, just to name a few, it gives you that complete market visibility and allows you to to benchmark versus your peers and leaders in in the space. Um, You can benchmark your brand site performance and really optimize different acquisition strategies, um, optimize brand messaging, your search investments, and potentially look at new white space opportunities for your product innovation, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so when we first launched the tool, the Clickstream tool, it, it was a SaaS platform, software as a service. So we were essentially pushing this out onto the organization and that was not set up for successful adoption for many reasons. We had to quickly pivot and collaborate with the commercial organization, to your point, to embed this tool in our current processes, along with our agencies that were managing those digital investments and, and work together to build out those use cases and, and corresponding measurements to really drive the pull from the organization versus us pushing it down their throats. So now it's a part of our core metrics, like it it drives many of our reporting tools and analytics. So it's really important that the organization sees that value, right? Sometimes to get there, though, you have to start with a smaller pilot, you know, try to find those proof points, a smaller use case, maybe just focusing on the power users to get those proof points and then and then use that to get the broader audience or organization excited about it and on board. Christina has brought back so many memories of how we set up D2C for Neutrogena, how we had the first conversations on, you talked about multi-touch attribution, then you went into white space, setting up consumer cohorts. Like I feel like we've covered the spectrum of e-commerce analytics here. But by the, And then you talked about Amazon. And so um, Amazon, there's a difference between 1P, there's a difference between 3P. Like you said, the consumer doesn't care. The other thing the consumer doesn't care is also if they're buying it from D2C. At the end of the day, they want the product. They want the SKU, the ASIN, call it what you may, the brand, you know, depending on the lens one wears. When you're thinking of analytics for Amazon, are you are you in a different mindset when you think 3P and 1P? Are you in a whole radical different ecosystem when you think D2C? Like what comes first to mind from an analytics standpoint? Like we know to really calculate and take advantage of the lifetime value and do the right thing for the consumer, you have to be in the D2C business to mm-hmm. truly, you have to be a retailer and AKA the D2C business or B2B business. So how, how do you deal with these completely 
varying degrees of what's important in each of these micro channels within e-commerce because when most commercial leaders think of e-commerce they, they use that word which really gets under my skin i'm sorry and it's called it's another channel of business no it's not it's got like 40 vehicles how you execute and it's primarily marketing like how does all this come together and how do you differentiate it at the micro moment there's a lot of data out there and I believe we can never have enough access, right? But honestly, Amazon probably has the most robust reporting, right? Down to the ASIN level and, and not just our brands, but competitors too. Omnichannel is really dicey, you know, especially with the growth we've seen in the, in the various fulfillment methods. So click and collect and curbside have accelerated, especially due to COVID, right? And many retailers see those parts of their business as in-store, not online. So they don't really have a good way to kind of break it out in their data. And that's really created a need for a different set of data for our e-retailers as, as we can't always count on getting it directly from our customers. And even when we do, they typically only provide a limited view of the total picture. So that's caused us to seek out, you know, third-party providers that that do offer a solution to to the access issues by way of multi-source panels, right? So they're combining like EPOS feeds, panel receipts, clickstream data in some cases to to project total e-commerce sales as well as e-retailer sales by fulfillment type. So this allows us to not only understand our own performance, which is of course important, but also our competitors' performance, which is really important. And then, uh, you know, you mentioned DTC. Obviously, you know, there's always this balance between driving to D- our own DTCs versus driving to our e-retailers. And first-party data, right, it, that's still a battle, right? What's the right balance there, especially when we know how most product searches are starting on e-retailer site. In fact, six and 10, over six and 10 are starting on Amazon specifically. So it's really important that we, while not all of our sites have our DTC enabled. So what what's the right trade-off there between driving to a conversion or driving them through a clunky experience where they have to click multiple times and ultimately can't buy the product anyway. So uh, when I think about those types of trade-offs, you know, we really want to think about what the keyword strategy is, what the acquisition strategy is, and make the draw those lines in the sands between maybe, you know, more upper funnel educational how-to routine type of questions that we can provide that content and, and be a source of information versus very lower funnel searches on specific brands, specific sizes, ingredients, et cetera, that may be driving more towards a purchase and 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 kind of delineate that way. But you're right, CRM offers um, and our DTC sites offer a lot of value in terms of understanding who that consumer is and, and how they're shopping. So, Peter, I'm going to jump a question here and turn it right back to you because I think this yep. lends itself pretty well to, you know, you use the word click. So, obviously, in e-commerce, click-through rates matter and the number of times he or she clicked are very important. But there's no in-store equivalent of how many times they picked up and looked at the product and put it back on the shelf because you simply can't measure it unless you're using amazing smart technology, which in a store costs hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars of capital that only the Amazon Go store has. So virtually no one else has it. And it's down to maybe like three stores in the nation. So which leads me to believe e-commerce metrics based on everything you just described and the in-store metrics, while you can have tons of analogies, they don't have much in common. And that's largely driven by the causals of what drives 
a sale on e-commerce versus what drives a sale in store. So if I were to ask you, Christina, what metrics are important for e-commerce measuring success? What would be like five things or what are the top few metrics you would point out for our listeners are the most important things to measure other than obviously net trade sales? So, you know, we're getting more and more of those metrics every day. And I, I do believe it boils down to the what and the why, right? The what is the overall performance, like you you said, um, your top line revenue, your sales, your share. And ideally, you'd also like to understand that sales funnel. So, you know, starting with visits or views of our PDPs and then adding to cart, purchase and ultimately repurchase. That, that way you can really understand like where you need to focus at a macro level. So if you're seeing the fall off at, at the top of the funnel or, or versus our competitors, we're not getting as much of those visits or, or views. It's more focusing on awareness, on, on search, getting them to view our product versus if we're losing on you know, the conversion part, um, they're adding to cart, but maybe they're not purchasing. Are we losing on price you know, or is it a loyalty play that they're not coming back into the franchise? We like to talk about the four P's of traditional marketing. And I, and I know you said it's a different, different metrics for in-store versus online, but as much as possible, we've tried to translate those four P's because everyone's so comfortable with that, with that language. And every one of those four P's has a, a similar dynamic online plus two extra piece. So we can talk a little bit about that. So you have product, right? Which online is your online assortment and your availability of those products. You have placement, which ultimately comes down to search. How do you rank in search? Taxonomy, digital shelf, all, all those things. Price, which online, it looks a little different, right? Because price is a factor of shipping costs. You know, you have your MFP guidelines, you have subscriptions online that all affect what the ultimate price the consumer is paying. And then you have promotions, which you have online promo- promos just the same as in store. You have v- VPCs, et cetera. So uh, the two extra, though, that we add are purchase fulfillment. So it ultimately, there's a lot of choices, right? In a store, you're you're picking it up, putting your card and checking out. But online, you could ship to home. You could do click and collect, curbside pickup. There's different options there. And often the way your products show up on those different options is, looks different than just um, the online like ship to home site. Uh, and then the last one is persuasion, right? So ratings and reviews, advocacy and, and enhanced content. So if you think about all those and like what are the metrics that, that line up with those, the four P's going to the six P's, that's really how we like to talk to the organization about what are the right metrics that we should be um, leveraging. Christina, I may know a guy who knows something about ratings and reviews. I'm not going to mention the name, but I know somebody in case you're interested. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I forget, I want to remind our audience of something interesting. A good friend of the podcast, Adam Rose, has put together a glossary of e-commerce terminology, and we've placed a link to that glossary on cpgguys.com. So if you go there and you hear us throwing around terms like D2C and 1P and 3P and ROAS, you're going to find it all on this. It's a really great document. It'll be built upon, but Adam put it together so you can check it out. It seems to me that while you're measuring a lot, you're not just about performance measurement. In fact, you're trying to probably figure out, I know where you come from. You came from IRI, came from not only a point of sale data, but a consumer behavior standpoint. So how are you thinking about creating things like cohorts or defining consumer personas? 
and integrating that into how the commercial team thinks about building its business. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's the goal and what we're trying to drive towards. So, you know, first, we want to start by just brainstorming and, and planning out our buyer personas logically, right? Like very simply looking at our products and who's buying them, right? Trying to understand what that motivation is behind the buy. Does that look different online versus offline? You know, online could be skewing younger and potentially to a higher income, et cetera. So we, we do need to understand those, those differences. And sometimes our traditional like targets that we have in mind or segmentations need to be tweaked as we think about the online consumer versus, versus offline. You know, next week we can dig into that internal data to get more insight. So, you know, we talked about having our own DTCs and and the data sets we get from those. So there's a lot of of rich uh, data and insights that we collect from our own CRM and another internal analytics. So we can look at, you know, understanding like which social platform is driving the highest traffic to our website and really identify like where our our customers are spending a lot of their time. You can understand things like age, gender, you know, occupation, income, uh, buying interest and, and pain points as well. Additionally, I think we, we need to look at and we do look at our competitors. So we use a digital intelligence tool like SimilarWeb to analyze the, the traffic on our competitors' websites. So this gives us that general idea of like what, what's our competition up to? Like who is the consumer they're trying to serve? What does their content look like? Are they trying to speak to consumers in, in a different way? So really understanding where that majority of the traffic is coming from, you can kind of piece that together and almost like reverse engineer their buyer personas based on the traffic and and potentially identify some missing components of the personas that we're building for our business. And, you know, it goes without saying another important part is really talking to your customers and, and using surveys to uncover those insights, you know, think about what a day in life looks like for them. And then finally pulling all those pieces together. So really, you know, gathering all that intel and data and boiling it down to what the actionable insights are for framing out your personas. What a great time, Peter. We're talking about personas and we're talking about how to shape um, the end-to-end spectrum of what she does from a uh, shopping perspective. And these are the moments that Peter and I live for to be able to go that neck deep. So thank you for that awesome iteration of how it's done to create a persona. Another question that comes to mind is, you know, we started this conversation literally, the first thing you said, Christina, when you were describing who you are, is I come from the brick and mortar world like you guys. And now you're the e-commerce analytics captain. So how did you actually transform? Like what, what were those magic moments? Like, was it people? Did you get coached? Was it an opportunity? Were you just intellectually curious? Did you read a lot? Were you in a situation? Like, how did you move from the brick and mortar world into the e-commerce world? In my case, I can humbly declare, I got an opportunity at Frito-Lay. One of the senior leaders, our then CEO of the company asked me, what was your magic moment? And how did your mindset actually make that transition? For me, it, it came down to kind of following some of those shopper trends and, and trying to stay ahead of them. So going where the shopper led me, like I've always been in consumer or shopper type of roles. So 
Um, back at GSK, uh, it's been probably a decade since I've been in the digital space in some capacity. I've started to see the migration from our own, the focus of our own brand sites to, you know, our, our retail sites, Amazon and our customer sites. And um, I kind of raised my hand to look at that user experience and try to optimize it. And we also had kind of put a line in the sand that we were going to grow our digital our digital presence, you know, X percent by, you know, in the next couple of years, but we didn't have any of the data or insights to get us there. So again, I kind of said, Hey, you know, like, I, th- I really think we need to start focusing on, on digital insights in this space and kind of led the path in terms of developing a lot of those foundational insights. I do think you make the opportunities for yourself a lot of time, but it's also important to, to have those advocates, right. And, um, like going, you know, understanding, we talked about this before, but, you know, even taking an opportunity within the organization to think about e-category management differently, right? So, you know, we have the traditional category management, those four Ps, and then going to the six Ps, you know, you want to think about what you know to be true in brick and mortar world and then translate it for them. So, raising your hand to say, hey, I think we need training on this. I think the organization needs our support and maybe like a leadership playbook to take back to their their customers and help them understand that journey. I also think having a mentor that maybe works in this space can be really helpful. So while you may not be able to get that direct experience right away, you can start to kind of satisfy that curiosity, um, which can also lead you to new places. Offering to provide your perspective on a project that may be outside your your purview to gain some initial exposure. You know, raising your hand for a stretch assignment, which I also did, can really help carve out an opportunity that maybe wasn't there previously. And it also helps you gain that experience while benefiting the organization. I always say like ambition is really nothing without opportunity, but many times, you know, you need to create that opportunity for yourself. So being really vocal about what your passions are, what your ambitions are, and, you know, making sure not just one person knows that, but people in different seats around the organization and even outside your organization are aware of that so that hopefully, you know, they can become advocates for you and help you get there. E-commerce analytics as a dedicated discipline is still in its very nascent stage. Yeah. A lot of companies probably don't even have that. So for people that are out there that want to be able to move in that direction, you gave us a little bit of advice, but from getting the experience they need to make them credible to move into that type of a dedicated role, what, what advice do you have for them on cutting their teeth and, and getting themselves ready? My advice is to learn the data, get comfortable with the data, immerse yourself in the data. Um, It is so messy and there's just an abundance of it. So it's really critical to be able to have that deep understanding. And I think any good career starts with the foundation of understanding the data, you know, similar to myself and starting my career at IRI, like that foundation really helps support you throughout your career. So it's similar here where it's a new set of data. I think you first need to learn that, but I think that's easy to say, but, but how do you actually learn the data? Right. So, you know, trial by fire, we kind of talked about this before, but raising your hand, seeking it out 
an opportunity to start analyzing the data. There's tons of free classes out there and obviously paid ones too that can help educate you on e-commerce analytics. And plenty of schools are offering uh, online analytics certificates now. You know, you have LinkedIn Learning. They have a a ton of content on there around analytics. Um, Finding a mentor, we talked about that to really give you exposure to this area. And I and I also Christina, want to- thanks for thanks for pointing that out. That one of the ways to get better at this e-commerce and also building your careers to study and learn and really being intellectually curious and to study what's out there. Peter and I may happen to know of a podcast that can actually be very <laughs> relevant in this space. I won't put the name out there, but you know, just saying. <laughs> See what you guys. Um, anyhow. A great resource too. I was just going to add that, you know, it is a growing area or discipline. And so there's, of course, going to be more and more competition, you know, so I think it's also important to potentially carve out a, a niche for yourself. So, you know, is your expertise specific to a certain industry or is it being more of a specialist in terms of the approach, like perhaps going really deep on search analytics or on pricing analytics? So, you know, whether or not you're, you're a generalist or a specialist in this area, it's important that you continue to learn and evolve as e-commerce, you know, continually um, evolves. And, you know, especially given the current environment with COVID accelerating that shift to e-com, it's, it's an area that will continue to grow. And I think it's something that's almost going to become table stakes that you, you need to learn this data, regardless if you're in an e-com specific role or not. Um, so, you know, I would definitely say, you know, venture outside your comfort zones, not, this is not everyone's bread and butter or what we grew up learning, but it's definitely something that is at the forefront now. And and we have to learn. I would also say, you know, view every person you meet as a a door that may lead you to a new opportunity. Be intellectually curious. Like you said, Shrey, uh, ask them about what they do. What does their day look like? What kind of data sets they look like? Because that can spark uh, ideas for you to potentially add to your own learning plan. And then also like search, search for the, the value and feedback and really be open to it. You know, if this is an area for you where you struggle, um, embrace it, you know, and, and leverage your strengths, but ultimately follow your passions. To all our listeners, if you want to subscribe to this podcast on any one of 15 plus platforms, if you want to reach our YouTube channel, If you'd like to see the companion documents for our profitability series, if you'd like to get a list of our favorite podcasts, and if you want to get Adam Rose's glossary of e-commerce terminology, it's pretty simple. Go to cpgguys.com. Also, if you're walking around the house, you want to be entertained and educated at the same time, just ask Alexa to play the CPG Guys podcast. I know I just sent off about 20 Alexas, and I apologize to our audience for that. (laughs) but you'll thank me later after you listen. If you like what you're hearing as well, please go to the Apple podcast platform and give us a rating. Just scroll down and find where the stars are. We like when you hit the one on the right, which is the fifth star uh, and leave a review. We really appreciate it. Christina, so good to have you join us. This was was incredibly educational and it's such a joy to reconnect on this thank you thank you so much for joining thank you so much for having me i really had fun great christina thank you for all those bold messages yeah really (laughs) great bold we we got a lot of learning here we're gonna amplify that big when we release this episode and i'll remind everybody this is part of our breast cancer awareness month promotion Uh, for the first 250 downloads of christina's episode sharina i'll give a buck each 
to uh, the Susan G. Komen Foundation. So help us max out our $250 donation. And uh, I want to see Peter writing that $250 check to Susan Komen. So make yep. it happen, folks. Yeah. And we have our profitability series going on right now. That released every Friday during the month of October. So with that, uh, Shri, I'll thank you as always for joining me on this journey. It is another great episode and looking forward to the next one. Peter, as always, thank you for this partnership and adios until the next one. To our audience, thank you for joining us and we look forward to you joining us again on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.